Episode number four, Lynn Ford, Breaking Into Storytelling. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Hey, welcome again to Storytelling with Children, show number four. Today on the line I have with me Lynn Ford. We're going to talk about breaking into storytelling as a profession. Before we get to that, I just want to remind everybody that this is the show for anyone who has an interest, a love, a care, who has a professional or amateur desire to tell stories with children. It doesn't matter if you're an educator, a festival organizer, um, a professional storyteller, or a parent. Any and all are welcome. Now, on the line with me right now is Lynn Ford. And Lynn, the reason I asked Lynn to come on the call today is because she has done an amazing job in the last two years and three years, perhaps I think it might even be ten, but in the last three years in particular, of really getting out there, getting known, and getting invited into the festivals, the storytelling festivals around the country. And I know a lot of storytellers in the country would be very interested in learning from her how she accomplished this and what she did. Now, from my encounters with Lynn, I could tell you that she, one, has done a fabulous job of, of, of demonstrating excellence. Excellence in her storytelling, excellence in her relations with individuals and people, and, of course, excellence in her professional appearance. Um, she also has done an amazing job of working with the local community of storytellers in Ohio so that she's everybody's friend. And, and of course, she is in with the arts councils, and she's done a great job of following up and, and uh, being with the arts and working within the arts councils. In addition, in talking with Lynn, I discovered that she also did an amazing job of, of meeting festival organizers and getting to know them and volunteering with them. And I was quite amazed by this. And so talking with her, um, I decided after just a few minutes of conversation that she had to be one of the first few guests on my show. So, uh, Lynn, you there? Yep, I'm here. All right. Hi. <laughs> so, um, Lynn, um, before we get started, I'd like to ask everybody the same question, which is uh, what is your favorite story or what is a story you really like that you wish you heard more in the storytelling world or in at festivals? Um, well, there are several that are my favorites, but they all have the same protagonist, the rabbit, um, known by some as Brer or Brother Rabbit. And one of my favorites is uh, Possum and Snake, where the rabbit helps Possum to survive by tricking the snake that Possum's put in his pocket. Oh. Is, is that like the coyote and the rattlesnake and the rabbit story? Exactly. Yep. That story has been accepted by many, many cultures, the oldest version that I can find actually comes from uh, probably West Africa. I don't want to say definitely because good stories travel. Yeah. But they all teach the same lesson. That if you And the way it was told to me was if you see trouble and you know it's trouble, just leave trouble alone. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> now, you come from a background of a traditional storyteller in some way in your family or... Yes. Um, I'm, as far as we would know, probably the fourth generation storyteller in the family. I'm just the first one to get paid for running her mouth. Mm. 
it's something that people in our family just did. And I think it's a part of many, many families. They just don't call it storytelling. You sit on the porch or you sit in the living room and everybody talks. And at bedtime, people tell stories to the children. And the tradition gets passed down from one generation to the next. But it's a, a very personal timeline into history. And so I feel really good about that. And within this this tradition, do you have any stories that were not written down in books that really passed down from the fourth generation? Um, as I'm doing more research, trying to find out more about the, the possible backgrounds of the stories, I'm finding that most of them are rooted in African, African-American, and Native American folktale. Um, so I can't honestly say that any of them was never written down because I'm not sure myself. But when I heard them, I thought they were all made up by people in the family. And it gave me a lot of material for my own work. Hmm. So you're not sure if they adapted the material from books or if it it came in third party from books or not? Oh, I'm very certain that it didn't come from books. Um, um, just just because um, of the way that they were shared. And some of the ones that our dad told us, um, I know he probably just made them up on the spot, but there were some that he told that as I traced them, they are rooted in a storytelling tradition, but I figure he probably heard it from his father or grandfather and passed it on to me because none of them are the are the things that I find in books. You know what I mean? They're, they've all got a personal or a cultural touch that isn't in the book. I, I would probably give my two front teeth to be able to say what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I do feel fortunate because uh, the nice thing is I don't have to worry about copyright infringements. You know, having them passed down to me like that from my grandpa on my mother's side um, in the oral tradition and from my dad in the oral tradition and anybody else that would tell them, I, I have a personal collection of stories that, that can be my own, you know. That's real nice. Hmm. So in my in in my inheritance for my family, I, I inherited a love of stories, but the love of stories was through books and the mm-hmm. reading of books and the reading of books out loud. Um, so when I hear someone t- like yourself talking about an oral tradition, even in some ways, um, you know, an oral tradition within a family is just an amazing event to be celebrated. Oh, it- it really is special, but I, I do have to give credit to my mother, too, because she read stories to us every night when we were little, and I can remember her reading um, Black Beauty. That was one of my favorites. Um, so we did have the literary tradition, but the um, the oral tradition helps you to make all the pictures in your head, too, and you have something that I feel no one else has. The nice thing about books is that you can come back to them like an old friend and they're always going to be the same. The nice thing about the stories in the oral tradition is that you've been given a very personal gift that connects you to family and to history that no one else has, but probably everyone can appreciate. So, yeah, I think the books are really important, but I think if people talk with their kids and pass down any kind of stories, what what someone in the family did, or folk tales of any kind. I think it's one of the best and most important things anyone can do. Medicine Story, who was on last week, talked about um, the written copy being a picture of, or you might imagine an ice sculpture of a of a water based medium. Mm-hmm. He talked about it's a frozen object, and he has stories that that, that are from his tradition. I mean, his you know, they've been telling his stories for a thousand years, and. Mm-hmm. 
from the Wabanoag tradition, and he talks about he's working with those stories himself that were passed down to him, and they're getting better and better as he tells them, uh-huh. as, as he owns them, sort of. That's uh, right. And, and as, he, as they get better, they change. You know, they so do. he's got a written book out 15 years ago, and he wants to redo the whole thing because they've shifted so much and gotten so much better. Uh-huh. And there are stories that I shared when I first started um, as a part-time teller, oh, about 16, 17 years ago, that they have a new life now, and I feel that they're they're worthy of uh, a different kind of recording. So I, I want to do the same thing. There are some that I put on an, uh, an audio tape that I want to put on a CD in a it'll be a completely different experience, even though it's the same story. Because I feel I've grown, and the story has developed its own life, and it's it's much you know it's gone from that toddler stage of me telling it to something that's much more mature and and deserves a better telling. Yeah, yeah. So as you move from seeing storytelling as something that just belongs to your family to something that's outside your family, how did that happen? Um, actually, it's because um, my children volunteered me in their elementary school. I was teaching preschool, and I was tutoring in language arts at their elementary school, and they kept telling their teachers that I told good stories and wrote poetry. And so the teachers invited me to come in and share with the students, and they passed my name on to other teachers in other schools, and word-of-mouth advertising got me into a career um, which I never expected, but I'm really happy that I have it. But I have to give the kids credit for for bragging on their mom. I didn't know they were going to do that. (laughs) So as you were telling in schools, you began to work with schools, um, did you have a sharp learning curve of of learning what schools wanted in terms of of, um, their expectations? I mean, the environment today is different in schools than it was 16 years ago. Oh, definitely. Um, The academic content standards and the No Child Left Behind um, regulations have really changed what teachers can do and what teachers have to do in the classrooms. There isn't as much leeway as far as enrichment, and at the same time, there are things that a storyteller can do that will help um, in the education um, environment. So where I used to look at this as, just an enrichment in the classrooms I now look at as a, as a tool that can help the, the children in a very effective way for all types of learners to meet those standards that they have to meet because of what school is today. Um, it, it was, you know, back in the, in the 60s and 70s, these things were, were for fun for the kids um, as well as a learning experience. Teachers knew that the children were learning something. Now you have to uh, qualify and quantify how they're learning it and what they're learning. So um, one of my um, workshops is to help storytellers understand how they're already meeting the needs of those teachers because um, they won't get work if they don't know that uh, in a lot of settings. Yeah, and you're, if any storytellers um, who are tr- attempting to get more work uh, should know that um, the local arts council can be very held in drafts or or finished products, and they'll tell you how to change it to attract more teachers. Exactly, and they're and very ha- they're very happy to help you. Um, the arts councils also provide professional development sessions, where you can kind of figure out for yourself what you're doing, and they can tell you what the teachers need and 
go over the enrichment sheets that you might want to give a teacher or the way you present your material as you're telling or performing in any way. Um, I think that's one of the things that even if a storyteller isn't interested in becoming a part of the Artisan Schools program, I think it's it might be a good idea to just go to an arts council that has an Artisan Schools program and just ask them what are schools looking for and um, you know what do you do for the artist and what does the artist need to do for the schools. Um, on September 18th, um, Larry Johnson will be on. He's a he was a longtime teacher and storyteller in the school systems in St. Louis area, mm-hmm. and he's going to talk about storytelling in school and classrooms and how it creates successful leaders, all the benefits and all that stuff. If uh-huh. anyone's interested in this particular aspect of what we're talking about, and they want to, they want to, if you're listening to a, a podcast that's been archived, that's old, you can then find that show. Or if you're listening to something and it's just a few weeks, you can put that down in your date book and be on the call and talk to Larry about it and ask him questions about how to work with schools. Um, so, when you were going through this process of working with the schools, was there a point when you kind of said, "Oh, I have to be more professional. I have to look different, or I have to do this differently"? Um, oh, definitely. Um, the school where I was tutoring readily accepted me because I was one of the moms in the building. They knew me. But when I started looking into the possibilities of going to other schools and sharing stories, I wanted to see what was being purchased for the schools. What were they accepting? What were they looking for? And who was doing the, the job of storytelling in the schools? So I went to... Um, some local arts festivals. One of them was the uh, Columbus Arts Festival, and just sitting and listening to people telling their stories to kind of gauge what I was doing and did I meet the same standards and what might I need to uh, adjust a little bit and polish a little bit. And after I had um, observed about three different storytellers in settings um, that I knew had been um, booked through artisan schools, um, then I looked into getting into the artisan schools program myself. Did you find yourself, um, well, there's two things I see happening to storytellers. One is they have a lot of denial about where they're at in terms of their performance. And the other thing I see happening to them sometimes is um, is that they have a lot of cynicism. So they're they're really good, but they're they're kind of undercutting themselves, or they're not very good and they're kind of in denial about it. <laughs> and both <laughs> these things are very destructive because if you're yeah. not very good and you're trying to sell yourself, people say, oh, he's not very good. And then if you get good later, people know, oh, he's not very good and they don't want to give you a chance. Right. Um, and the other one's destructive. If you're if you're very good and you don't you don't give yourself a chance and you under so did you deal with any of these issues yourself when you were beginning starting out? Well, I I think I would be on the side of um, being my own worst judge. Uh, in terms of kind of looking at things in a negative way that maybe I wasn't doing the best I could do, um, that maybe I wasn't going to be able to um, entertain and inform the students and uh, that I wasn't going to get a job. And, but that was a, just a lack of knowledge, honestly, and um, not looking at things objectively. So I had to kind of change the way I looked at things, Eric, and 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 instead of saying oh i i don't do things in that way i had to just ask myself what do i do that meets the same standard and how could i do that better and also 
who does something similar, who performs in a way that's a bit similar to what I do, and how can I learn from what he or she does. So after I had looked at the uh, tellers who were at these festivals, I started. I actually started looking for storytelling organizations where I could learn from uh, observing and listening to other tellers. And that helped me to stop judging myself because the question I asked each time as I watched them was, why did that work? What worked so well and why did that work? And I thought to myself, well, if I'm asking that about their work, why am I judging mine in such a difficult way, you know? So I started, um, when I would feel the appreciation coming from the students, I would kind of put a little check mark in my head, that worked, and then ask myself afterward, okay, why did that work so well? How can I repeat that experience? But I think observation of others and learning from the skills of others was really, really important, engaging how well I was doing, too. So what I hear you talking about is you went through a long process locally of increasing your skill level, of getting better, taking yourself more professionally, um, seriously. You went through this long process, mm-hmm. and then recently you began to reach out more in a different way. I mean, right, I'd say I mostly in the past three years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And could, could, let's talk about that process. What? How did you begin that process? You, you, when I asked you about this originally, you had said you volunteered for a festival somewhere. Yes, I did. Um, I'm trying to remember which one it was now, and it's gone out of my head, but yes. I Oh, I know. I was volunteering actually for um, some of the national storytelling conferences. One of the first ones was in that I went to was in uh, Chicago, and at um, some local, the local conference, the Ohio Order for the Preservation of Storytelling. And this was a networking experience. By volunteering there, I got acquainted at a a more personal level with some people by helping out in the rooms where they were providing workshops or or telling and um, getting a chance to just talk with them. And I always told at the swaps, whenever there was a swap, I would, and that's just a place where anybody can tell a story. You just sign up to tell a story. Um, Whenever there was a swap that, that had a theme that fit what I was doing, I would sign up. And if I couldn't find one that I thought I fit into, I would go and listen to other people telling. And you never know who's listening. By telling at those swaps, I actually got some work because some of the um, planners of other programs were sitting there listening to people tell. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so always be willing to give something from the heart. Those little volunteer um, moments actually may open some doors. I know they did for me. So you volunteered at at the National Conference, and that's Mm -hmm. how you met people within that framework. of. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you weren't pressuring them at all. You were just meeting them. I was just meeting. I was helping out with things and getting acquainted with people just just on a nice acquaintance-type level. But that would also give me an opportunity to ask, you know, how did did you get started or um, where was your first, job, you know, those kind of things. And so I was getting some information that was very useful to me as well as meeting people who might be helpful to me because they they heard me telling um, after my volunteer moments in the day and they might pass my name on or give me a call. So the other thing is to always have a business card in your pocket because you just never know. Yeah, that's true. And you're, you're a basic business card, nothing fancy. You only got a website recently, I understand. 
I did January. <laughs> January. I'm very well, slow. Let's say it. Let's say it right now because we're going to say it later again. Let's say it right now. <laughs> okay. www.linfordstoryteller.com. You're in the technology realm now. Oh my really... goodness. <laughs> I'm just toddling through this. <laughs> Believe me, it's more of a headache. I think one of the things I hear you saying is, is that because you didn't have the ability with the technology, you didn't waste a lot of time doing these things. And you focused right. on on what I consider the important growing business aspects. And one of the mistakes that I've made in the last couple of years is I got really focused on the technology. And I well, spent way know, too much time on the technology. And I think everybody comes to their path in their own way. Um, I'm a, a, a one of those tactile kinesthetic learners. And so reading the instructions for how to do something does not help me at all. I've got to do it, you know, touch it. And that's the nice thing about being at the computer. You push the buttons and things happen. But to follow the directions to set up something like a website, absolutely impossible for me to just pick that up. So, <laughs> yeah, I ha- I would call my son who lives in New York. I, you know, I'd ask questions if he came to visit. We're sitting at the computer and he's telling me things, you know. And, and then... Um, uh, Doug Lipman was kind enough to set up my website, and I think he did a wonderful job. But if he hadn't explained things to me, there's no way. In fact, he's told me how to edit pages, and I'm still looking at the paper going, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doug's on next week. Yes. Next Tuesday. And I am forever in debt to Doug for many favors he has rendered me, so you can mention oh, yeah. as much and as you want. Um, he did a wonderful job, but yeah, I'm still a techno toddler, <laughs> and which meant that I was going to have to find a, a paper route and and make sure that the word of mouth was very positive because it was going to take me a while to get that website set up and all the rest of that, you know. So what's what do you mean by a paper route? The paper route is um, making sure that your brochure really stands out, making sure that even if your business card is very very simple, it's unique to you, um, that you can use that business card and that brochure um, almost as the getting acquainted. It's going to make the first impression for you if you're not there. So um, I really took a lot of time looking at other people's brochures, and it wasn't the cost that was as important to me as the style, the wording, and what it showed about them and the realities of who they were because um, without saying any names or anything, I knew of people who had absolutely outstanding brochures and really didn't do a very good job with the storytelling itself. Right. And so they were getting jobs, but they might not get repeat jobs. Right. And they weren't getting the word of mouth. But their brochures and their business cards, their flyers were absolutely wonderful. Uh, One of my favorite... Um, marketing gurus um, Dan Kennedy talks about he talks about how um, bad bad service good marketing is the kiss of death <laughs> <laughs> because then you just spread the word of how bad you are very quickly <laughs> isn't that the truth you know I, I believe that I really do that's the first time I heard that but oh that just that sounds absolutely like what was going on and these people were actually closing doors for storytellers because. Their adver- they couldn't live up to their own advertising. And yeah. um, uh, I was in a couple circumstances where I was coming in behind someone with very good advertising who 
had not done the job that was meant to be done. And that's not a comfortable situation to walk into. I wouldn't ever want to do that for someone. So I learned from these people, you know, they've got this fabulous brochure. I could learn from that, you know. But but I was going to do a very good job when I did my storytelling, too. And and to be fair to them, not everybody bats 100. That's right. So you yeah. could it could be that one of these individuals, and we're not going to say any names, of course, but one of these individuals was somebody who just had a night out. You know, it happens. Hello, who's joining our call? Uh, Lynn from Charlottesville. Hey, Lynn. Um, so, uh, Lynn, I have Lynn Ford on the line. So, Lynn, if you could push star seven to mute okay. your line. Not Lynn Ford. Lynn from Charlottesville. <laughs> okay. Um, and... To, oh, no, it's star six to mute your line and star seven to unmute it. So, Lynn Ford, you still there? I'm still here. Okay. So, um, uh, where were we? What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. So, marketing, successful marketing. Did you hire someone to do your thing for you? Um, I did it all myself. Wow. Um, as I said, I studied things. And, and being that tactile, kinesthetic person, I also touched them. What kind of paper are they using, you know? what's the difference between the trifold and the bifold and all of that. And I went with a very basic black and white illustration, um, but I looked at the fonts and which ones were very attractive. And um, I did my own first um, first brochure, first flyer, actually, and a little postcard. And I designed my business card. And um, but, but the most important thing you did was that you met the promises that you made. Oh yeah. When when you when you gave him this card, when you gave him the brochure, that you were able to fulfill the promises that you made on that card. And that and, I think that's the thing to work on first. You yeah. know. And, and also your focus, like you do a certain set of stories, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like do you have what what sets do you do? Um, I call all the stories home fried tales, and that's to honor my father who was a lousy cook, um, but one of the best storytellers I think there ever was. He was my favorite storyteller. Um, But as far as the programs themselves, I have one program that's called Rabbit Tales Retold, and these are tales of the one that some folks call Br'er Rabbit. Um, I have one that's called uh, Stew Pot Stories from Around the World, and these are stories that come from many places. Uh, And I do give a little bit of information on where I got them from and... and, um, where they may have originated. And I have another one called uh, Let's Throw Stories, which is a tradition from Liberia. If the story is tossed out well to the listeners, then the audience actually tosses it back, throwing it back by the way they respond and help with the stories. Oh. And um, and a couple other ones. I have uh, Spookers and Haints. Um, it's just what it sounds like. But I can gear it toward... Uh, little ones and they're just silly stories or toward um much older more mature listeners so but i, I hear a theme of, of folksiness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? and because so that's it, what it, was shared with me yeah right and and that folksiness in terms of you know when they hire you they know what you're getting they that's know what they're right. getting and well i figured important. home fried tales with you know if i called my programs home fried tales that kind of gives you an image of what what I'm going to be sharing right there. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, that overall name lets people know that this is kind of the down-home type of program and um, probably for a family audience. And uh, it lets me speak a little bit of my own family's traditions. It's home fried. 
um, and people seem to be able to relate to that. Now, did you have you recently developed a DVD to send to festivals, or do you do other promotional material besides flyers? Um, I found a way to get my videos to others for free without me having to pay for the videos, and that was by showcasing for libraries, which would want to videotape um, a short story to, so that other people that might want to hire me for their libraries in Ohio could see what I did. Mm. So that video is actually available to anybody if they just go to the to the website. And that one's from, uh, let's see, the Northeast Ohio Library Association. Yeah, I'm kicking myself because I'm in that system too and I didn't do that. That's a great idea. And Yeah, and uh, another one, um, when I was videotaped by uh, WCET in Cincinnati for their public broadcasting, um, just by putting a link to that site, people can see what I do without me having to send the DVD or pay for the <laughs> pay for the DVD or anything like that. So that's how I've gone about getting some visuals out there. Um, and as far and the website now has you know a couple photographs, but I'm, I'm I that's the editing that I have to do, making sure that all those links are there so that people can see what I do or what I have done in other places. So I'm, I'm just going to go through some of the things I saw. You is, is there another important aspect to what you've been doing marketing-wise that you haven't covered so far? Um, the vi- the videos. Um, people are saying that I should be selling the videos because um, I have a rubbery face and it makes all these faces while I'm telling stories. And <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to think that that's that's the next thing to do, both as a marketing tool and um, for sale. Yeah, to have a DVD line, perhaps. Yeah, a live DVD. But but I'm just at the threshold of that. This has just come up over the past, well, I'd say in the past couple months, more discussion of it. Storytelling with children. <laughs> Storytelling with children. Storytelling with children. Bill McKell is going to be on May 30th show. Mm-hmm. He just finished a DVD for Cars. Oh, okay. And so you should probably call him and talk That's to him. That's good to know. Yeah, about how, what he did and the work he did, and just ask him about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he might be able to help you with DVD projects. That would be good. Thank you very much. I just gave D- Bill. I don't think Bill wants everybody to call him. <laughs> <laughs> so if you hear this in three months and you're like, "Oh yeah, I'll call," no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> well, I've I've got Bill's email, so <laughs> yeah, I, I can reach him. So, but we won't tell everybody that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think everybody just heard it. So all two thousand people can listen to this thing eventually. Yeah, yeah. So, don't tell. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lynn, Lynn, um, looking at at what you did, I the core of what you're doing, what I hear is is really important to storytellers, and I and I haven't seen a lot of this, and maybe it's because it's a very private thing. Is you really introduced yourself to gatekeepers? to people mm-hmm. in the festival world and said, this is who I am, this is what I do. And it, and when you said, this is what I do, you you were naturally focusing on a certain type of story so people could really say, hey, that's what she does. Exactly. And mm-hmm. it was really clear. Mm-hmm. And then you had these other things to help you along the way. Right. That were simple and laid out. Nothing complex, just doing the job. And that's really great. Very basic, very yeah. basic. But trying to do it in a way that was unique to me, yeah. Well, um, I want to go back to the... I'm one of those people who's always had a hard time with that part. <laughs> of what, the meeting wanna, of people? 
I, I don't know how to describe it, but sometimes in networking, I just miss certain cues, and so I want to just go through the networking stuff you did. Um, so you would meet somebody. Say you met, um, let's pick on Doug because we both know him. Okay. <laughs> Say you met Doug Littman. Mm-hmm. You helped him out. Mm-hmm. And you talked with him for a little while. He said, oh, yeah, da da you talked about this or that. Um, did you do a follow-up the next week? Did you I would. I would um, well, for some of them, yes, I would email a thank you. Thank you for the information. Oh. Even if all they did was to tell me that I might want to talk to another person, you know, or they recommended a book or anything, I always thank them the information I thanked them of course right at that moment but I it was kind of a follow up thank you you know because can, can you hold on a second Lynn I sure. hear someone do it, moving some dishes around if you could press star six to mute your line that'd be great uh, you still there Lynn yep sure I am okay go ahead um, I, I think those thank yous are important and I, did, I had done the same thing with teachers um Sending a little note to the school, you know, thank you for the information. If they gave me some other connection, uh, some some name that might help me to get to what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, um, I, more of what I did with someone like Doug, for example, was was listening. Um, but then I would also thank them for whatever was useful to me because I feel like I, you know, you can learn from everybody, everybody. In fact, you can learn how not to do things too. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but but yeah, I always tried to let them know I really was grateful for the information, and I always tried to let them know I wanted to keep the lines of communication open, and I wanted them to also remember me. So yeah, I would say within about a week I would send a thank you, and usually I would get a, a little note back. It might only be a couple sentences, but sometimes I would actually get um, information about who to contact someone that might find my storytelling useful for their programming. And that really made me feel good because I didn't want to be one of those people who's in everybody's face, you know, just imposing my presence on them. Um, At the same time, I wanted them to know how much I wanted to learn and how much I appreciated the information they'd given me. And I think when you're honest about that, they know, you know, they know the ones that are probably faking all the gratitude and the ones that really, really feel the gratitude. And it's it's good to be who you are and be as honest about it as you can be. And if you if you are the kind of person that can stick out the hand and shake it right away, that's great. If you're not, that's okay too. The fact that you're volunteering somewhere is showing something about your willingness to give and share. And some kind of conversation usually does begin. Yeah. Yeah. So as you would meet people in these different situations and did you actually keep a database of some sort like keeping track of i met this person on this date had this well i kept a list mm-hmm. remember i'm the techno toddler so it wasn't a database but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i did keep a list i would mark down the name of the person i had contacted and then i would go to the national storytelling directory and look for where their address was if they had a write-up of the type of work they did, I always read the, the write-up to see what they were doing because that might give me, first of all, it, it gave me um, more information on the person I had met. and uh, Secondly, it gave me more information on the type of storytelling that they did because if they were successful enough to be able to have a write-up in the directory, that meant at the time they were making more money than I was, but it also meant that 
they knew what they were doing and they knew where the markets were. So if I read their write-up, then I, I knew a little bit about what was selling, you know, what was working. Oh, that's interesting. So you would yeah. read the write-ups to look at what who what people were trying to sell to. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that would let me know what um, was gaining interest at those nas- at the national level and at those national festivals. Um, these were the people who were really my mentors, whether they knew it or not, because I was learning from them what people wanted. And and then I looked at what I did, and I tried to be very honest with myself. Okay, how would this work in that type of setting, or would it work? And what other market might I have to look for? Because I don't expect to fit into everybody's plans, you know. Um, and from doing that, I also gained the names of people to whom I could refer folks that might want a certain type of storyteller, and I wasn't the one. So I could give them a name, someone that I knew would do a very good job for them. And those positive um, referrals are also something that keeps doors open for me. Yeah, and I cannot... I cannot underestimate her or i mean this is just an amazing concept it's so important because as storytellers we're only in competition really with ourselves because mm-hmm. we are unique mm-hmm. in what mm-hmm. we do we really are each and one it, is yes and definitely if you're, if you're not unique it's because you just haven't found your voice yet and you should go find your voice before you start trying right. to sell your services so, right so as as a unique storytellers the only person we're in competition with is ourselves Exactly. And mm-hmm. our own limits we set. And then when we see a possible gig, it's really important that we look at that gig and see, do we fit the gig? Exactly. If we, if we don't fit the gig, we have no business there. In fact, I learned that really well last fall. I got begged to do this gig. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I went and did it. Appalachian stories, and I'm not doing them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's it. Never again. <laughs> well, you know, um, there, you know, if you listen real careful, you, you can kind of get a feel for whether it's, the job for you or not. But I've done the same thing, Eric, and I think everybody that that really starts working at storytelling as a profession has those moments that they look back on and say, why did I ever do that? And for me, there was a school where a principal had insisted my stories were wonderful and he wanted me to come tell at his school. And so I said yes and marked down the date. And then he said, can you tell pirate stories? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, but I could tell some stories of the sea. Would that be acceptable? Uh, they're not really pirate stories. And he said, yes, that would be fine. Can you tell in a pirate costume. Oh, no. <laughs> and I said, uh, no, I don't have a pirate costume. He said, would you be willing to wear one? Oh, no. <laughs> I said, if you buy it for me, I'll wear it. But, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> and he did. I didn't think he would. And he did. And so I came to the school and changed into my pirate outfit. <laughs> and I told stories of the Caribbean and, and storms at sea. And you know, one of them was even a spooky tale about something climbing up on a ship. But I felt totally embarrassed inside <laughs> because I was in a pirate costume. <laughs> this is not me. And so when it was all over, um, at that time I was small enough that, that – after I had used the pirate costume, I could pass it on to my daughter for a Halloween costume. You know, but, but I never did anything like that again. After that, I was very honest. No, I don't do things like that. You know, no, I don't wear costumes. But here's the name of somebody who might be interested. You know, because we just 
we can't do everything, and it's really dishonest and a disservice to ourselves and to our stories and the audience if we're not honest about what we really can and can't do. To say, oh, yes, I can tell for that program and then have to make up a story immediately or find a story immediately um, puts a lot of stress on the teller, and there's a difference in the telling that I think affects the way an audience responds. Yeah, I agree. There's sort of a – I mean, some people can pull it off. There are some people who um, are more in the acting tradition, I think, where they they can do any show. Mm-hmm. And they're not mm-hmm. partial to show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not in that tradition personally, and there are some storytellers who are. So let's be honest and say there's right. people who can do it. But I'm not one of those people. You know, I have specific, I have particular material, and honestly, before I get up on stage, you know, I don't have a script. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I just follow the heart, and it goes along. I follow the plot as it follows me. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and if you come from a theater background, I'm sure that kind of thing is easier. But um, then you can add to your your advertising that that you have a theater background, and that does affect the way you share the stories and what you can affect. Um, but that once again, it's a matter of being honest. Let's just wrap up this section here. Okay. Is there any other advice that or that? It is important that you want aspiring storytellers out there to hear and to listen to, that you want them to know. Um, I think um, storytellers shouldn't be extremely judgmental on themselves in the beginning, Hmm. but should be willing to test run their material with the age or grade level um, for which they'd like to tell. So that, once again, is that giving for the heart, not for the wallet first. I think it's real important to test run your material before you start getting paid on a regular basis. Um, When you're sharing it from the heart, that gift can open doors. If you're sharing it for the wallet and you have not honed those skills yet, your wallet might get a little empty. (laughs) So so I think the first thing is to um, be bold enough to take that first step, not be judgmental but also be willing to share it first for the heart as a learning experience so that it can grow into a career for you. So I'm going to open it up now to our listeners who may be interested in um, sharing on the call. If they have a question, to unmute your line, push star 7. I'm just going to ask if anyone on the call currently wants to ask a question. Just say your name. Hi, this is Mary Margaret O'Connor. I have a question. Sure, go ahead. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Just fine. How are you doing? Good. What was the length of time it took you, you know, when you first got into your profession, then to start recording your stories and and going out and selling them? Is it a one-year, two-year, five-year process where you get the confidence up or experience enough to do that? Well, I think it's going to be different for everyone. As far as your timeline, it depends on how well you, how well and how quickly you can hone your skills. I think when you're comfortable enough with the story that it can roll off your tongue kind of without you thinking about it, you're probably ready to record it. And for some people, that could be a matter of just months working with a story. For others, it might be at least a year or two. Um, for me, it, the confidence wasn't there until I had been telling for about five years. But I probably could have re- recorded maybe three years into the process. Okay. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I hope that helps. Yes, it does. Thanks. <laughs> Other questions? Um, feel free to ask another one if you want. Other questions? 
leave it open for a second. Going once. I guess I have another question here regarding the uh, visuals, or you you mentioned that you would um, record a video and and sell that. Would that video be like a series of videos that would be on a DVD, or would you be interested in selling an individual video? Um, I'm thinking that I might try and put three tails. As I said, I'm just at the threshold of that. I might try and put three tails that link to one another in some way on a video um, with some kind of lead-in for storytelling and some kind of wrap-up to it. Um, That's all new territory to me. Everything that is on the Internet for others to see um, is just a single story here or there. so, you know, for sale, I'm thinking it's got to be a little more than that. So uh, with the DVD experience, in terms of putting it on the library, in terms of having it available on the library site, is is really very brilliant, actually. I mean, one thing that you can do that sort of a techno point of view, any storyteller can do, is we can post our DVD, our little pieces, on YouTube, and YouTube will handle the bandwidth for us. Mm, and then uh-huh. you can put that YouTube thing on your website. I mean, I don't expect you can't win, but most of us can hire a weapon for us. And YouTube will take care of all the costs of the bandwidth for us of broadcasting that um, that DVD little piece. So it's just a way of having a free DVD uh, piece on your website. Um, Lynn, I want to make sure you have the opportunity to offer something to the audience of people mm-hmm. who are who are going to be listening to this as a podcast in the future. If you just want to talk about your rates and where you've traveled or places you've been recently, um, if you want to talk about certain areas of the country, you'll be this summer or perhaps in the fall. Uh, if you want to attract more work, I don't know. It depends on what, what you want to offer. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to be doing a workshop at the National Storytelling Conference in St. Louis in July where I'm talking about um, interactive storytelling and what storytellers already do that meets the national academic content standards. Yes. So it's not a matter of learning new skills. It's a matter of being aware of what you already do and where it fits. And um, because that seems to be very important, uh, especially if you want to work with young people in our school settings nowadays, I also have a workshop that, Eric, you experienced um, the storytelling goals, uh, what a professional storyteller supposedly must do. And I would like to offer to the first 15 folks who who get in touch a copy of my storytelling goals handout uh, uh, for setting your own goals and creating and, your own And I have a copy of this handout, and I think it's really good. Well, thank you. <laughs> and thank very you. useful. Well, good. That's good. And I'd like to offer that to them and also to the first five um, if they – would like a 30-minute phone chat about solidifying their own goals and plans um, in their emails. If they give me a number, the first five, I will call them at a convenient time for them, and we can talk for about 30 minutes about where they're trying to go and what they'd like to do. That's very generous of you, Lynn. Oh, no problem. Somebody helped me all the time. I want to be the same kind of person. You know, you give something, you get something. And and right now, this is the fourth show, so um, I expect that if you're listening to this as a podcast and it's um, May, it's very likely that there's still one of those spots still available. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody yeah. thought, oh, those got taken a long time ago. So oh, you no. Call in. Now, um, <laughs> they can get your phone number on lynnford.com, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Lynn Ford, Storyteller.com. Can you spell Lynn, please? Uh, yes, it's uh, 
lynfordstoryteller.com, www.lynford, storyteller.com. Uh, that's why I couldn't find it. I was spelling Lynn, L-Y-N-N. Most people do that. I'm a single N. <laughs> um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, Lynn. I'm really extremely grateful and appreciative. Oh, um, you're welcome. Thank you, you for inviting just, me. What are the next two festivals that you're booked at? Well, I just came from the Northern Kentucky Storytelling Festival. The next big one for me is um, the National Storytelling Networks Conference in St. Louis. I'll also be telling at the uh, International Storytelling Center. I'll be doing a residency there in August in Jonesboro, Tennessee. And I'm going to be telling um, scary stories both nights at the uh, National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro in October. Wow, congratulations. That's great. Thank you. Friday and Saturday night spooky things. Yeah, have so. you already told the National Festival before? Yes, I have. Yeah. That's great. Um, and I'm really looking forward to two nights of being able to pull out all the stops and tell a really scary <laughs> <laughs> There is something really fun, because I mostly tell the kids, and we, we put on a local scary toy story night here, and there's something really fun about just you know, saying, okay, this story here <laughs> is not safe for children. That's right. <laughs> and then yeah. the kids all leave. You know, <laughs> and you're like, oh. Yeah. And I, and I do tell those gentle ones and the silly ones and things like that, but I love it when someone says that you, you can just go for it, you know. <laughs> so I'm going for it. <laughs> all right. So you have been listening to Storytelling with Children, the podcast that touches on every element, every part of telling stories to children, professional, amateur, Um, festival organizer, parent, educator, whatever you want to do. Um, Thank you so much, Lynn. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. This guest has written a post for the blog at www.storytellingwithchildren.com. You can make a comment or ask a question in the blog comment box about this discussion. If you wish to join a future discussion live on the call, go to www.storytellingwithchildren.com and sign up to the email alerts to receive future notices of shows. This show was conceived, hosted, and produced by me, Eric Wolf. And to support the show, you may learn more about my storytelling work by going to www.ericwolf.org. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This podcast is the responsibility of Brother Wolf Storytelling and is distributed under a Creative Commons non-derivative license. That means you can copy it and give it away, but you can't edit it or sell it. Thank you so much for listening.